but you won't be there. It happens all the time. I've had the opportunity of being in on over 300 of those meetings as people, as we're talking about someone and they're not there. You know why you're not there? Because you're dead. You know, there's always this meeting that takes place. Um, as a pastor over the years, I've done over 300 funerals. You guys have been easy on me, okay? I've been here 10 years, maybe done 30 funerals, but my previous church I shared with you was a much older congregation. I did 270 funerals in 13 years, and uh, so I was doing them all the time. And the thing that's always true that I always try to do and is many times you do funeral services, and you really don't know the person that you're going to be doing the funeral service for. So one of the things you do as a pastor is you meet with a family. And you meet with a family for the purpose of getting to know something about the family or the person that's died so that you can share some things about them. And I found that there's three types of meetings that go on there. Three types of responses when you ask the question, tell me a little bit about this person that's died. As you're sitting there in the room, usually it's family members, friends, whoever it may be. First, The first type of meeting is what I call horribly wonderful meetings. Uh, There's tears but they're tears of joy, they're tears of, of, of remembrance. And so people will come in and ask, ask the question, tell me about the person that, that died. And so they'll start telling stories. And, and as they tell them, other people will jump in and tell stories about stuff. And it's, it's, it's this incredible legacy that the person has that they talk about. And that's one type of meeting. I hope that the meeting we have for you will be just like that. There's a second type of meeting, though. And, and which happens when I ask the question, uh, tell me about the person that's died so I can get to know when, you know, make the service a little more personal. And this is what I call the awkward silence meetings. <laughs> and these types of meetings are where you say, tell me about the person. And then there's just like. Finally, they'll say something like, well, you know, they really like pizza. (laughs) Or they like spicy. I mean, they'll say something like, finally, after a long pause, there's nothing they can think about the person. And so they just basically say, they just start, there's, there's nothing they can remember that really is just charging their mind. And they have this long, awkward, I mean, those are horrible meetings, I want to tell you. (laughs) And I'm thinking about, and I'm thinking, what do I do with that in 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 a funeral message? The third type, though, it doesn't happen very often, very rarely, maybe only twice in all my ministry in all the years. And I call I call these, uh, I don't know what to call them, but I'll just tell you what they are. Um, it's kind of like the time that I sit down in a room and I was called to a funeral, uh, funeral home there. And I'd been in Virginia for 13 years at this one church serving after a number of years. When somebody would die in the community and they had no pastor, they would ask, they would call me sometimes and ask me, would I do the funeral service? Sometimes I would say no, sometimes I would say yes based on my availability. And so this one time I said yes, and I went to the funeral home to meet with this family. I thought it was going to be a family. It was this one person, it was this lady, and this was her brother that had died. And I'll go in and i say, tell me a little bit about your brother so we, when we have the service that, that I can know a little bit more. And she proceeded to say what a nasty, hateful, and I can't use the terms that she used in that meeting in church, but you can imagine, person this was. And the reason there was nobody else there is nobody wanted to have anything to do with them. 
And I found that to be true when I did the graveside service and there were seven people there. I don't know where they came from. I think three of them are from the funeral home. So you have those kinds of meetings, and each one of those types of people have kind of a, uh, it kind of says something about their legacy. We're going to be talking about legacy today. Uh, the whole thing of what, what are we going to pass on to people? What are the things that people uh, remember us for? Because last week, and we were in chapter 13 of the story, and for those of you who are new here, we've been in, going through a book which is, helps us to understand Scripture. It's called The Story. The Story is a is a, a chronological abridged Bible that basically has about 70% of Scripture in it. And it, what it does, it starts in the... In Genesis, we started in creation many, many weeks ago, and now we're in chapter 14 today, and we're going to take a break after today for three weeks during Christmas. The next two weeks will be about Christmas, and then we're going to have a week after that after Christmas, and then we'll get back into the story talking about the prophets. I love the prophets uh, uh, on, the, on January the 6th, and we'll be doing that. But we last week talked about where we were. It was dealing with Solomon, and Solomon, the king who had everything. And as we talked about Solomon, what we talked about in the last that we learn is how he disobeyed God's plan for his life. Particularly, we focused upon his whole idea of how he disobeyed God's purposes and plans for marriage. He perverted it. And, and I said it, it had huge uh, downfalls, huge problems in his life. And the issue that we failed and talked about, as I said, you know, this is this, and I tried to apply it to today as well, but I really didn't talk about what was the downfall, what was the outcome of his disobedience, because as you go through Solomon's life, you don't so much see it. He turned away from God, yes, but what happened? We don't so much see the outcome of his disobedience until the next generation. And in chapter 14, of the story, we begin to read about what happened toward the end of his life and then when when he died and what happened next with the kingdom of, of Israel. In 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 9 and through 13, we read uh, toward the end of his life, this is what happened. It says, the Lord became angry with Solomon. This is after he's turned away from God. He's married. He's had 700 wives, 300 concubines. He's, he's totally just disregarded God's plan for marriage. One man, one woman, together forever. And he's turned away from that. And this is what it says. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon didn't keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Let's stop here for a moment. The thing is, as we remember back and we studied this back a few weeks ago, that as as David became king, God promised David something. David, God promised David that there will always be somebody in your line that will be in a leadership in, in Israel part of that but he said okay here's what happened is and solomon was was david's son and he says but i'm not gonna but i'm gonna um not gonna do that so nevertheless he says for the sake of david your father because i made him that promise god says i will not do it during your lifetime i will not tear the kingdom away from you i will tear it out of the hand of your son yet i will not tear the whole kingdom from him but will give him one tribe for the sake of david my servant and for the sake of jerusalem which i have chosen and then we read the next few verses about how God picks out a person who was not one of uh, one of Solomon's sons, a guy named Jeroboam. 
And, and he raises him up. He's somebody that's, that's part of the, uh, the household, but he's somebody who's, who's influence and powerful person. But, but God picks him out and through a, a prophet, he tells him, you're going to be the person that I choose. God chooses to be the next king of, of Israel. And you will have 10 of the tribes, but there'll be somebody else that has two of the tribes. There's 12 tribes, remember, in Israel. And so that's what God does. And so God handpicks Jeroboam to be the next king. Because of Solomon's disobedience, that's what happened. That's his legacy. His legacy is one of failure, of not following God's plan in his life. And so Jeroboam hears this, and we read the last part of chapter 11, and what happens is, is he decides he's going to you know, make things happen a little quicker, but Solomon decides to kill him. He runs off to Egypt, hangs out there until Solomon dies, and that's kind of where we pick up the story today. It says in the end of chapter 11, it says in verse 43, Then he, Solomon, rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, and that's not, remember, it's Jeroboam and Rehoboam. There's a lot of Boams in that time. You know, I don't know if you had your son, you'd be like Jephoboam and, you know, and whatever, Billaboam, whatever. You know, it kind of sounds like, I don't know if that was true. It just seems like it was a common thing. But Jeroboam was the one that God picked. But it says, and Rehoboam, though, and this was Solomon's son, his son succeeded him as king. Now, we have a problem here. God's appointed God's appointed one person, anointed one person to be king. But the son of Solomon, it says, becomes king. And so there's a problem here. And we, and we begin to read in chapter 12 of 1 Kings how this, this whole thing falls out. This, this legacy has lived out in a real sense. Because after Solomon died, the nation of Israel, all 12 tribes, had, they'd been together before. They'd been the high point of their life during the times of David and Solomon. And now we see the kingdom falling apart. And ten tribes in the north aligned them with Jeroboam, and they became known as Israel. And the tribes of Judah and Benjamin in the south aligned themselves with Rehoboam, and they were the the son of Solomon, and that became known as Judah. So we have two different nations now that formed. Isn't that strange how that happens? That when conflict comes, it sometimes splits and divides people in different ways. Families are split by conflict. Churches are split by conflict. I cannot tell you how many churches started because of conflict. Not all churches start in a real good way. Uh, not all churches start because they're planted with a, with a purpose. And sometimes it's just people get mad at each other and just that's how churches start sometimes. It's really sad. But then we see that happening here. And so we see this problem. This problem is that God had anointed one person to be king and the people appointed another person. Now I want to talk about, like this one I've already said with this, the importance of our legacy. The importance of our legacy. And what is... What is that? Legacy is, is, is this. This is a definition from uh, the dictionary. Something transmitted by or received from an ancestor or predecessor or from the past. Well, most of us, when we think of legacy, we think of money. What am I going to pass down to my kids as far as money? And that could be a part of our legacy. But I want to tell you something. Did, did, did Solomon pass down a financial legacy to Rehoboam? You better believe it. I mean, he had built things while David had been the person who had vision and cast vision. Solomon had been the builder, the collector, the person who was accumulating stuff. And so they had this huge amount of resources they already had. So as far as that part of the legacy, that was set for Rehoboam. But during 
But during Solomon's reign, what happened was this. He became overly aggressive in accumulating unimaginable wealth. And he did it by raising taxes on the people and demanding hard labor from the people. And he had his aggressive building projects and he purchased ships. He did all kinds of things and it overburdened the people. And that's where they were at this time. That was part of the problem. That's why the part of the problem, some people will say that's one of the reasons that the kingdom split apart because of all the oppression that was there. But there's another part of the issue here of the legacy that was passed down from Solomon. And I was reading, Solomon wrote, uh, we believe, uh, not only uh, the Song of Solomon, but also Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. And Proverbs are something that you may have read before. They're these little pithy, short sayings that help you to understand life. And I was going through those, and one of those in particular caught my attention because it's something that so often we know... But we don't always practice. And this is part of the problem with the legacy of Solomon. In Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 23, Solomon, this is Solomon, says this. My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of of life. Okay, here's Solomon saying this. He says, guard your heart. How good was Solomon at doing that? I would say he got a big F. Because he didn't guard his heart. Guarding his heart means being effect, uh, making sure your affections are focused. Guarding your heart. He had 700 wives. He was totally focused on consumption and having things. See, what he said and what he did didn't match. And all of us know that, that our parents, I mean, if you don't know this already, you haven't paid attention. That more, your kids, what they learn is more caught than taught. It's what you do. If you say one thing and do something else, what's going to happen? What are they going to believe? They're going to believe what you do. You cannot fool kids. I mean, my wife, she teaches, uh, taught school for 18 years, and she says she taught elementary kids. You know? And she says, man, they're the most brutally honest kids around. They'll say anything to you. They just look at you in the face and say, Mrs. White. You know, and then they'll say something, and she's going to come home, and she's going, it's just a kid. Yeah, but she said, they're honest. I, I guess that meant I wasn't. I don't know. But the issue was, is that so often, you see, they understand that. They see when we're, we contradict what we say and what we do. And that was part of the legacy I see of Solomon. Solomon said all these wise things, these pithy proverbs. But did he live them out? No. He didn't follow that. So when, when Rehoboam comes along, Rehoboam really doesn't, doesn't, doesn't really um, follow the smart things that his father said. He followed what his father did. And it's kind of like this. So often we don't think about this, but it's this, this quote. It says, our present decisions will one day be the past to which future generations will be able to trust, trace their blessings or their hardships. So often we're focused on the here and now. And because of that, we don't think about the future. See what Solomon was focused on the here and now. I want, you know, I told, we talked about this last week. You know, Solomon had 700 wives, and I'm sure he said that to each one of them, I love you. All 700 of them. 273, yes, I love you. You know, whatever, I don't know. But the issue is, 
But the issue is, is he, you know, he, he had this divided heart and he was focused upon himself and accumulation and all the problems that were there. And the issue was, is he did not think about the future at all. What does it mean for us? Folks, we live in a context right now. We're in a tough place in America, are we not? And you know how we got here? Because of all the crooked politicians, I know. No. That's part of the deal. But part of the deal is on self-focused thinking. You know, right, I saw a political cartoon the other day. You may have seen it in the paper. And the thing was, if you still get the paper, maybe you're cool and you don't have paper anymore. But I don't know. But uh, but the issue is, is that it was a cartoon and it had this picture. And it, and it was talking about how we're going to pay for the, you know, the fiscal cliff thing that's getting ready to fall off of here. And, and somebody had this, uh, somebody came up with something. And, he, and the other guy said, well, don't worry about it. Our, grand, our grandkids will pay for it. See, what kind of legacy are we going to leave as individuals and as a nation? We've got to make hard choices now, not only for us, but for the future. Our present decisions will one day be the past to which future generations will be able to trace their blessings or their hardships. And you know, one of the part of the legacy that I say in a real sense that in, uh, in Rehoboam's life that, that really was passed down was who he listened to. You know, God had told Solomon from day one, he said, if you will follow my commands and decrees, I will bless you all of your life. If you will do that. But who did he listen to? Did he follow God's command and decrees? No. He listened to people who told him what he wanted to hear. Who patted him on the back. I I read the other day an article in the news, uh, in in an article in the online. It was from pastors and it says, be careful as a pastor who you listen to. Be careful who you listen to. He says, number one, don't listen to the people that complain all the time. Because, you know, if you do, you'll just be, you'll just be in the dumps. But it says also, don't listen to all the people all the time who are just going around going like, oh, pastor, you're so great. You know, you're fantastic. You know, that was a great sermon. No, you can say that. It's all right. But it says if that's all you listen to, then the problem is, is you'll have a skewed view of who, what it's, he said, listen to the people who love you and who will speak the truth into your life. They will say when it's good, they will say when it's bad, and they will do it in a way because they know. And you gotta find it's just a few and far between those people who you need to listen to. And see, Rehoboam, we, we see this, what, what happens is after his dad dies, uh, uh, Rehoboam is, is there and he's trying to make some decisions about what to do with the next stage of life. And what he does, first of all, we read in, in chapter 12. It says in chapter 12, verse 9, he first goes to the elders. He goes to the elders, the people that were the older folks that had some wisdom and had some background. And, he, and these are the people that have been advisors that probably his dad had not listened to very well. But it says this, and they advised him and said, you know, your dad, Solomon, placed this heavy yoke upon the people of overtaxation and overburdening them. And they says they pushed back, they pushed back, they pushed back. Give them, give them a break. Give them a break. That's what they, they suggested. But it says in verse 8 of 1 Kings 12, but Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him. He rejected their advice. He wouldn't listen to those people because it didn't fit up with what he wanted to do. And so what did he do? And he says he consulted the young men who had grown up with him and who were serving him. So what does he do? He goes out and goes to a bunch of his buddies who were just as dumb as he was. 
I mean, I'm sorry. Sometimes, what was he looking? He was looking for yes men. He was looking for people who would just say, hey, 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 Rehoboam, you're such a cool dude. You just need to, to, to do what you want to do. And so they tell him to make the burden even more on the people because you're the king. Prove that you're king. Be in control. And that's what he did. He, he did that. And what it eventually led to, in a sense, that was one of the things, because of the legacy of his father and what he made, the, the choices he made, Rehoboam made, what happened was it split the kingdom. It's, we see at this point, that was the hinge point where the people, the where 10 of the tribes said, we were no longer going to follow you because you were not the king for us. And Jeroboam had come back from Egypt and he was hanging around and they appointed him king. And he goes and has ten of the tribes there, and two of the tribes stay down, and, and Rehoboam stays with the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, and he becomes king of them. And we see from here on out continual warfare and conflict between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Good counsel in our day and age starts with biblical truth. If somebody is telling you something that's opposed to God's word, if you call yourself a believer and you, your primary advisors are people who are leading you in a different direction, that's bad advice. Who are you going to listen to? See, good counsel starts with biblical truth. It's followed by praying to God and asking for his wisdom. And then by, by following up, by talking to godly people who you respect, who live it out before you. Not just people who talk the talk, but people who walk the walk. That's the people you need to be listening to. See, so many times... <laughs> So many times we pray and, and we read God's word and we seek godly counsel and then we get it and then we just go home and forget it. We don't do it. Folks, just coming up, come to church on Sunday morning and sitting in a, I would say a pew, but we don't have pews here. We have chairs. You know, I, I've been to church so long, I call, almost call these pews. They're not pews, they're chairs. Uh, you, we sit there so long, we think that that makes us spiritual, but it doesn't. The thing that, make, that helps us to be close to God is by not only listening, be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Following godly advice. And because Jeroboam or Rehoboam did not follow that advice, what happened is it split, split the country, his nation apart. I love what Bob Russell, who's the former um, uh, pastor, head pastor, founding pastor of Southeast Christian Church, said. He says this, the church needs the vision and vitality of youth to be balanced by the wisdom and experience of age. It needs both. But so often we kind of go toward whichever direction we want to do. We have to have a balance in what we do. The, The vision and vitality of youth and the wisdom and experience of age. I love one of the things that that Solomon wrote, which he didn't follow too well. (laughs) And Solomon wrote some great stuff. Wise sayings. Proverbs 15, 22. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they they succeed. Well, I would add to that and say plans fail for lack of counsel, but it better be the right counsel. Because if you have many advisors that are the wrong ones, it will not succeed. It's not like we take opinion polls and rule. That's how we deal with stuff. We deal with people, and the people should the counsel us, they guide us. The, the, the thing that we should pass down to our kids is listen to people who are godly. 
And then finally, I see it toward the end of chapter 12. We see as we talk in this kingdom is split, what has happened is, is we see the pitfall of making decisions based on self-interest. Okay, Rehoboam goes off and he, he's made this decision, the kingdom splits. But then Jeroboam comes in and he becomes the leader of ten tribes, the largest group of people. And God once again tells to him very clearly, if you will follow my plans, my, my, my teachings, I will bless you. Every time there, that's been the instruction on the front end of every one of these leaders, without, a, without exception. And it wasn't just Rehoboam that got bad advice. Jeroboam did too. In chapter 12, chapter 12, verse 26 through 30, this is what it says about Jeroboam. This is the guy who was appointed, who God appointed king of the, of the other ten tribes. Jeroboam thought to himself, remember, okay, let me set the scenario. Rehoboam was now the, uh, was head of, head of Judah and Benjamin. The places where they worship God, Jerusalem and those places were in that area. Okay? But in the northern kingdom, the thing that was there where most of the people were was where Jeroboam was leading. This is what he says. Jeroboam thought, thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. Talking about the line of David, which Rehoboam was part of. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, if they go back to Jerusalem, which is over in the Ju- Judah area, if they kind of go to this place, what will happen to them is they will again give their allegiance to their Lord Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they, they will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. And so it says this, after seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. Where have we heard this before? <laughs> we have heard it back, you know, so, uh, I mean, what's the deal with the golden calf thing here? You know, they knew their history had been passed down. And so the advice he gets from these guys, okay, don't let the people go to Jerusalem to worship there because if they do, they might hang out too long, be kind of like become Judaized, I don't know what that, if that's a word, but they would become uh, maybe uh, realigned with, with Rehoboam, this other guy down here, and they will hang out there and they will come back and want to kill me. So he's all, it's all about self-preservation, self-interest. It says, after seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, it is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Here are your, here are your gods, Israel, these two golden calves, who brought you up out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel, that was one place, and the other he set up in Dan, it's another location. And this thing became a sin, that the people began to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other one. Jeroboam doesn't want the people to go back. He is so focused upon self-preservation, self-interest, that he doesn't want to make the pilgrims back to Jerusalem, which was their holy city, to worship because that would strengthen the possibility of of Rehoboam's rule or his stake as king. So what does he do? Instead of following God's plans and worshiping God, he sets up these idols, these visible things for for them to follow and to worship there. He goes, he's totally ego-driven. And he's not concerned about the people. He's only concerned about holding on to his power. He's not concerned with following God's plan because he knew from day one and from his own history, the history of his people, that when you follow a golden calf, it's not what God wants you to do. He knew that. I mean, how often are we like that? I mean, we're, oh, you know, we don't set up golden calves. No. But how often do we go against what God wants for our lives so we can look out for number one? And Jeroboam doesn't stop there. He continues down the path of following his own plans. His line of reasoning was, 
we don't have to do exactly what God said. We need to do kind of close. We talked about that last week. And this is what it says in 1 Kings 14, verses 8 and 9, talking about Jeroboam. It says, you have not been, this is what the, the end result of all this is. You have not been like my servant David, who kept my commands and followed me with all of his heart. Doing only what was right in my eyes. You have done more evil. Now listen to this. This is what it says. This is interesting. Talking to you about, you have done more evil than all those who live before you. Now how would you like that as a legacy? You have done more evil than all those who have lived before you. You have made yourself other gods, idols made of metal, and have aroused my anger and turned your back on me. Not only did Rehoboam have this legacy of going down the wrong path, Jeroboam made the same mistakes, the same legacy. He knew what was right but but broke and, and followed that. So my question for all of us today is this. What's your legacy going to be? What's your legacy going to be? What kind of counsel do you listen to? And how will you make decisions in your life? I mean, you're going to get a bunch of yes people to come up and pat you on the back and say, oh, you're a great person. Just keep going what you're doing. I don't care how messed up it is. You know, we can find, you can find people that'll do that. Some people call them drinking buddies. Yesterday morning, I have a great small group. I love my small group. I, I will say, I was right my small group. It's the best small group in the church, okay? <laughs> Kevin, go, Kevin. Kevin's in my group, you know? That'd be exciting with Kevin in the group. You know, he's the guy who did the top 10, you know, earlier. So uh, we have a bunch of guys and we have some great conversations. But yesterday morning, we were talking about this whole thing of legacy in our group. And, and we were just kind of floored as we talked about it, about there was one of the young guys. We have mostly old guys, you know, like me. But we have one or two guys that are younger. And uh, one of the youngest guys in the group, we were talking about this whole thing in the group about legacy, what we're going to do. And one of the guys shared with us that one of the things he and his wife, and they just had their first child, talked about, he says, one of the things they did a a while back is they actually sat down as a couple and wrote out a mission statement as a family. And I'm going. And all the other guys in the group, he was next to him sitting another guy who's about my age and he was a lawyer and he's going like, how old are you? The guy said, 35. He said, I wish I was that smart when I was 35. Because what happened, he and his wife had asked this. They asked this one question. They said, it was a legacy question. They said, what is it that we are about as a family? And what do we want to accomplish and, and, and through in our kids' lives? And, you know, so I ask you this morning. Let me just give you an example. This is, this is your homework. I don't usually give you homework on Sunday mornings, do I? Sometimes I do. But I would, if you're serious about... Passing down to the next generation and thinking of keeping the next generation in mind, not only your kids, but the people that are around you, do two things this week. Number one is ask this question and answer it. What are the key values that I want my children to have when they are adults? What are the key values that I want my children to have when they become adults? We talked about this yesterday, and let me give you some examples. The, the person who made the mission statement said he had four key values. One was about faith. One was about family, the importance of that. I'm trying to think of that. One was about education. 
And I can't think what the other one was. Maybe, Kevin, you can help me. I can't remember what. Finances. Okay, finances. About how to, ma- how to manage finances in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a godly way. Those are the four things that he, they said they want to pass down. You know, about building relationships with people and their family and others. Their faith in God. So what are the values that are important to you? That, that when your child grows up to be an adult... And we hope it's sooner than later. What are the values do you want them to have to, to live out their life? What are those things? Okay, that's the first question. To have a direction. And here's the hard part, though. This is the part we don't like. Now sit down and look at your activities. The things you do. You do and you do with your kids. Because you control what your kids do. Especially when they're younger. And ask yourself a question, this hard question. Do the things that I have, that we are involved in as a family, are they leading us toward those values? Are we just going around like crazy people, busy? Folks, Satan's greatest tool, and I've said this a thousand times, and I'll say it a thousand times more. Is busyness. In our culture today in America, we have, we have so many choices, so many options. And we've bought into this lie that we can do it all. And as parents, we've bought into the life, unless we get our kids involved in all those things, they might miss out. And we have kids that are just stressed to the max. We have families that never spend time together. And, and when their kids are gone, they're strangers to their families. One of my favorite songs many, many years ago was one by Harry Chapin called Cats in a Cradle. Y'all remember that? Yeah, some of you old remember that, you know. <laughs> Great song. If you don't know it, look it up. But it's talking about the whole legacy of passing down And it's not what you say, it's what you do. So what is your legacy going to be? Solomon's legacy, hey man, he left his his family financially secure, but messed up in every other way. And it paid dividends that he didn't want to be paid down the road. Train up his child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Guess who wrote that? Solomon. Boy, was he correct. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.